Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Revelation chapter 3. The world is passing away. You know, sometimes the, the word that, that, we are, uh, that we hide in our heart, uh, the, the Holy Spirit can use to, to give counsel or encouragement to others. There's other verses that, that really speak to us as often as we will listen. And when you think about the world is passing away along with all of its desires, and that's the desires of the world and anybody that lives in the world, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And, and ultimately, in our everyday life, that's what we really want to focus on is, is life, not, not things that are going to pass away. Nobody, nobody wants the things that are going to pass away because they, they shouldn't be priorities in our life. And so that verse is going to be really, really hard, although possible, to use to, to give to other people at different times, although it seems a little judgmental sometimes. But when we reflect on our own life, and our eyes get taken off of the eternal, and our eyes are taken off of God's will, we need to constantly be able to remind ourselves that the things of this world are passing away. The things that we fall in love with day after day that distracts us and takes our eyes off Jesus, they will dominate our life if we let them. In fact, John also says that you know, the, the, there's the lust of the eyes, the, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These things are, are at war with God, and they are the origin of all sorts of sin. And it starts right here with the eyes, the things that we see that we don't control. So let me just remind you, the world is passing away along with all of its desires. But we want to live forever. Amen? Apparently, our ameners aren't here today. So we will just go on without them. <clears throat> I say that because of this particular passage of Scripture. Yeah, each week, the Bible memory verse that we are learning will line up with that day's message. Okay, So it's not a, it's not a large leap to see where we get to from here in Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea, write... The words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. White garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And to salve, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Laodicea was a, another important city in Asia Minor. Uh, we've been talking about these seven specific churches, uh, real churches receiving real letters from a real apostle, uh, from a real resurrected Savior and Creator. And he is writing specific to these churches to address issues that are going on in their culture at their time. And this is the seventh and final letter as we make our route along the postal code. These, these cities would have had relationships with one another. After all, most of their existence would have been held under one kingdom. This was a very wealthy city, Laodicea. It had a significant Jewish population. And so once the, once the gospel got to Laodicea, it, it kind of exploded. Uh, there were a lot of people, just like in Jerusalem, when the Jews f- finally understood that Jesus was the culmination of the Old Testament prophecies, it clicked with them pretty quick. So this is one of the reasons why Paul would go into the synagogues first to preach a resurrected Christ, because they would be first early adopters for the most part. At least those who were following the Messiah and not those who had fallen in love with their tradition. Now, as you know, faith or Religion is much different than a relationship with Christ. And so people that were religious Jews were much harder to reach than those who were passionate God followers, people who wanted an intimate relationship with with him. And so like other cities in this region, it was a a center for imperial worship. Uh, Caesar worship was going on there. This was still in the days of uh, Domitian. There was a temple here as well to Asclepius, which was the uh, Greek god of healing. There was another medical center that was here that was far more renowned than any of the other cities had at that day. In fact, uh, they were... Uh, the, the medical school was actually connected directly to the, the temple there. Now, there was a devastating earthquake that had occurred about 30 years, 35 years before John wrote this letter to them. And when Rome reached out to that area in order to rebuild them, Laodicea was the only city that said, no thanks, keep your money, we got it. They didn't want to be indebted to Rome, although they were under their authority. They chose to spend their own money. I guess you could say they, they did not want the stimulus check because of all that it was going to cost them later. And so they wanted to figure out how to build their city back on their own. Now, don't give them a whole lot of merit here because what they were trying to do was flex a little bit on the Roman Empire. We don't really need you. We are just fine on our own, which doesn't speak to their humility. It actually speaks a great deal to their pride because they did not want to be uh, under anyone else's authority. In fact, Uh, This is uh, very well known. All of the ancient Roman historians speak about this issue at Laodicea, and everybody was flabbergasted that they refused the money of Rome to be able to to instead use their own resources. Now, another thing that's important about Laodicea is the whole world would have known about this city. It was an old city. This was not even the second time that this city had been established. It had went through many uh, morphations over the last several, uh, transformations over the last several uh, uh, centuries, in fact. 
here's some things that they were known for. Uh, financial wealth. Everybody knew Laodicea had a lot of money. In fact, they were a huge commercial district. They even had banks already in play in Laodicea, one of the first cities to ever had banks, and they had a gold exchange there. And so there was so much money in Laodicea uh, that they had to, to, uh, to put together uh, an exchange there. They also had a very lucrative textile industry. One of the things that occurred around Laodicea was this uh, kind of glossy black uh, wool, uh, and, and they could use to make glossy black fabric, and they would ship it all over the world, and Rome loved it. Uh, it's not, so, you, I mean, I, you can't, there's no pictures, uh, but when you think about luxury, you can just think about this, uh, this kind of silky, shiny, glossy black fabric that all the Romans really wanted to have, and uh, it all originated in Laodicea, it's the only place, only place to get it. And then the final thing that they were known for was there was a, a, a particular uh, uh, mineral that was found in Laodicea that they would pulverize. In fact, it was called Phrygian stone, and they would crush it down, and they would make salve, and they would ship that all over the world to cure blindness, some, some types of blindness due to bacteria. So uh, this was one of the things that the medical school was most known for was the ability to give sight uh, through, this, through this salve. Now, these things weren't going away. There was a constant need for these clothes. Uh, they couldn't keep them on the shelves. There was a constant need for eye salve. There was no other place to get it. And everybody from the world would interact with Laodicea from their gold exchange there. One of the most significant problems in Laodicea, though, you know, sometimes you can have almost everything except for that one thing you can't fix, and you just have to deal with it. Uh, you know, I think about people who have a really clean house, and then a, and then a mouse dies behind the wall, and you just you try to light candles and you try to do all kinds of stuff, but you just got to wait it out. There's just not much you can do about some about some things. Sometimes, those of you who might, this might hit a little bit closer to home, I bought my house with a, I shouldn't have said, I have a friend who bought a house uh, <clears throat> who, who had lots of privacy, and then lo and behold, a neighborhood Walmart goes in. Not a big deal, not a big deal. I still had about 40 feet of woods there uh, to protect me until they cut it all down, and now I love my home but there's some things I just can't fix. I have planted trees. I have done all sorts of things, and things just don't work out. But here's the thing that Laodicea had to deal with. They had no water under their ground. They had no natural water at all. Now, they had lots of cisterns where they could hold water, but they had to, if you went straight north out of Laodicea, about six miles, there was an ancient city called Heropolis. You've probably heard of Heropolis. I hope that you have. It's in uh, Paul wrote, writes about it in the book of Colossians. Uh, but southeast, another six miles, is the city Colossae. And, and so Colossae had cold water springs, and Heropolis had hot springs. And so there was an agreement with Laodicea that they would create aqueducts from Colossae and also from Heropolis, but both were coming six miles away. And so regardless of which direction that they were to get their water, it was room temperature when it got there. <clears throat> and it was not great. Now, if you want to get kind of healed, you go to hot water springs. 
If you want to be refreshed, you go to Coldwater Springs. If you want to vomit, you go to Laodicea. And everybody knew it. It's one of the, the most prominent thing about Laodicea. And one of the reasons that it stands in prominence is because historically, when they, uh, when they would be attacked by an enemy, every enemy knew that they had to have enough uh, reserve in order to beat Laodicea. All you had to do was withstand their water supply. Because once they ran out of water, now they're on borrowed time. They had none of their own, of their own water. And Laodicea also knew that. And so rather than fight and rather to solve the problem another way, what they decided to do was just pay everybody off. And so if you needed some extra cash, lay siege against Laodicea, they'll offer you some money because they had plenty of it. So the church at Laodicea is actually mentioned by Paul several times throughout the book at Colossae because as I said, the church was only six miles away from Colossae. <clears throat> and... Uh, the church was <clears throat> obviously, or maybe not obviously, but uh, most likely started through Timothy, Mark. <clears throat> but certainly Epaphras uh, was a part of that because when he is writing to Colossae and he mentions Heropolis, he actually talks about the gospel having come to them through Epaphras. So maybe he was the church planner at Laodicea as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse, uh, getting back to verse 14, the second part of verse 14. So Jesus gives his resume here. So it's really important for you to know kind of the cultural context of who, who Jesus is writing to because it's really going to be important as he gives the, them these proclamations. He says, these things says the amen. Jesus himself is the amen. He is the so be it is what Amen actually means, or it is true, it is done. He is, it is the final word and the ultimate authority. When you say amen, you are saying, that's right, there's nothing left to say about it. We would, we would drop the mic, uh, would be uh, similar to saying, saying amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God are uh, in him are yes and in him amen. So Jesus is the personification and the affirmation of the truth of God. He is the culmination of all things that are true. And your charisma and your charm and your independence can only take you so far, Laodicea. Jesus is loading up here on his ability to see and his ability to know the heart, not just the lips of this church. And so they were eloquent. They could do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted. They had a ton of independence and everybody loved them. And in fact, they had a good reputation in their community. Everybody loved the church at Laodicea. He goes on. The faithful and true witness. Now, this is, of course, Jesus. This was in contrast to the Laodiceans. They're going to be shown to neither be faithful nor true. Now, this refers back to the Old Testament passages, but also to the original introduction of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, when he says this very thing, he is called true. This is the beginning of God's creation. That idea behind the word beginning is that the Greek word is arche, which means ruler or strength. It means the origin or the root, the premier. 
It's not the first in sequential order. That's not what Jesus is trying to get to. Sometimes we read this, we talk about like Jesus being the first as if he some created the first thing that God created. That's not what the word means at all. What it does mean is that there's no one like him. Not in sequential order, but in order of importance. Jesus is first. Of all things, Jesus is first. He is preeminent because he is the creator. So he's first in authority, not first in number. Now, Laodicea really prized themselves in being first in number. But Jesus here is establishing who he is. He is the first in superiority. He continues like he did in every other letter. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you that, would that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold... I will spit, spew, vomit you out of my mouth. This picture of lukewarmness is hard to miss. Uh, You would make it immediately in connection with the Christians of Laodicea because the water that they drank every day was lukewarm and everybody hated it, especially people outside of Laodicea. And they were embarrassed by this failure in in their culture. But Jesus said, just as the water you you drink is disgustingly lukewarm, that's how you are to me. Can you imagine getting this letter? Imagine how you try not to drink water. You can't cool it. You can heat it up, but it takes some time. That's how you are to me. In a spiritual sense, lukewarmness is a picture of indifference, and apathy. It's a picture of someone trying to play both sides and therefore playing neither. It tries to play in the middle, too hot to be cold, too cold to be hot. In trying to be both things, they became nothing. Some of them were cold. Some of them were cold enough that they recognized their need to go and be among God's things. And so their hearts were not warm, but they were cold. But they would go to church and they'd feel better about themselves. They'd go to church, they'd be around church people. They would hear testimonies. They'd go to conferences and they'd hear good preachers that would warm them up. But Jesus knew at the end of the day, none of that mattered. You see, you can't infer Christ. You can't just receive him because you're around him. There were others in the church, though, that were hot. At one time, but because of their indifference and because of their laziness and because of their comfort and because of their pride, because of their arrogance, because of their independence, because of their democracy, they said, no one's going to rule over us. And it cooled them down to lukewarm. So there were some that were so cold that they, they could see hot from where they were. And there were some that were hot that were moving toward cold. And by the way, both of those people were in church together and neither one were encouragements to each other. Now, I don't want to get too personal, but I can say, I think both of those people still go to church together. There are some who think they're right with God because they might go to church or be in a class or no good people. But there are other people that have been Christians that are cooled far beyond their knowledge. Content. 
The cold ones thought they were saved because they were around faith. Well, I mean, they would say, well, I mean, we're not rejecting it. I mean, we're still in the room. What they were around and their future potential helped them feel, helped them feel good about themselves. The hot ones thought they were saved because of what they had done in the past. The prayers that they had prayed, the services that they had attended, the money that they had given, their opinion that they had had about the Word of God, the truth that they had even accepted. And what they had done made them feel good about themselves. One was looking forward with no intention. The other one was looking backward with no development. You know, I think, and I say this out of love, but I think lip service from Christians has got to be the greatest curse the church has ever had. Christians who just can say the things. Christians who just know the right answers but are not walking with Jesus in a daily relationship. You know, I have found in all of my years of, of ministry that the hardest person on earth to reach is the person who thinks they've already been reached. It's impossible. It's impossible to reach someone who don't know they're lost. It's hard to reach someone who thinks that they have enough. Some people think they have enough of Jesus to be saved, but they don't recognize that there's never enough of Jesus. He's deeper. He's wider. He's more. That's why he calls us into a daily relationship, not just an, uh, an agreement. People who have just enough Jesus to think that they have enough, it's dangerous. That's one of the reasons why I think the church at Laodicea is written to the church today. I think that if we were to pan out and see the effectiveness of the modern church, we would say, boy, probably. So fiercely independent. There's not much we can't afford if we take up an offering. There's not much we can't do. We have somebody else do the ministry for us. We have somebody else pray the prayer of salvation for us. We have someone else do the teaching for us. We have someone else do all of the things because we can afford not to have to do the work. We're not desperate for Jesus. And what we've begun is we've, we've become lukewarm at best. Laodicea is the church that's full of people just going through the motions in their faith. Just going through the motions. When I need to talk about Jesus, I can. When I don't need to, him, to talk about him, I probably won't. Trying to benefit and please the world and Jesus could possibly be the most dangerous thing a Christian can do. It seems to me that this is the kind of faith that we're handing off to our kids. Just go through the motions. That's what I would say. If you, if you really want a litmus test of how hot or cold you are, I think that's probably the litmus test. Is what are you giving away to your kids? What are you giving away to the next generation? Are they listening to you pray desperate prayers? Are they hearing you quote scripture? Are they watching you in the word? Are they hearing you have conversations with non-Christians about their faith? Are they experiencing those things from you? Because I can tell you if they are not, it's not in you. Because that's the thing you'd want to give to your future life. That's the thing you'd want to give to your children. That's the greatest gift we can give them, obedience to Christ. If you're not doing that, I'm telling you, you're just going through the motions. Well, I'm not good at it. Well, then get good at it. Well, it's awkward. Well, then do it enough to where it's not awkward anymore. 
You can sit and you can, you can excuse and you can justify and you can pacify and whatever. But I'm telling you, if you're not doing it, it's not in you. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you're lukewarm and you'd better listen. We all had better listen. We already, we already see what Jesus thinks about our prized legacy to our kids. Hot water heals, cold water refreshes. Lukewarm, useless. You see, Jesus is saying, if, if you were hot, then I could use you. I mean, I could spend time with you and, and we could develop, we could change the world with hot people. I would love for you to be hot. But if you were cold, I would prefer that because at least you would recognize the spiritual vacuum that is in you. At least then you would feel empty. You know how much easier it is to reach addicts with the gospel than it is church people? A lot easier. That's why a lot of red-hot Christians do church work outside the church. That's why parachurch ministries are exploding because Christians won't do it. God help us. At least if you were cold, I could convict you. At least if you were cold, I could draw you. But at this place that you're in, lukewarm, I can't do anything with you. You're focused on the wrong things and you're asking wrong questions and you're sensitive to wrong things. The lukewarm Christian has enough of Jesus to satisfy that whole Satisfied at desire for religion, but not enough for eternal life. A lot of Christians have enough of Jesus to be satisfied, but not enough for eternity. You see, you think about the thief on the cross, cross cold as a cucumber. But he knew it. He knew he was cold. He knew he was lost. In fact, he begged for mercy within his last breaths. I think of John, whom Jesus loved, red hot, willing to go to Patmos for his faith, busting rocks. Judas, close enough to Jesus to feel good, far enough to never know him. Lukewarm. Close enough to feel all right, far enough to be lost. You see, I think lukewarmness is really difficult to diagnose because the one who suffers with it is the only one who doesn't know it. When they're around faith, they can fake heat. But when they're around the world, their faith isn't consulted. Because we're content. Just enough world to be inoculated from Jesus. But this is a compromising lie. And it's deadly. Lukewarm faith is a lie. It can't exist. Jesus is the amen on that. I really doesn't. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not angry. I'm actually under conviction. If you want to know if, I, if I'm trying to be judgmental, I am because I'm looking in the mirror. Not because I'm looking at you. Jesus drops the mic on it. 
I don't really care what you think about yourself. I don't really care what your reputation is of yourself. I don't really care how proud you are of all of your accomplishments. I am the amen. I am the faithful and true. I am the origin of life, and what I say will matter. They need, a, they need an eye salve to remove their blindness. You see, the name Laodicea actually means justice for the people, of the people. This church represents a church run by majority rule. It represents a democracy. Our vote is the right one. Well, we all agreed, so it must be the right thing. This is what they did in Laodicea. They agreed on what was just and what was right. I mean, look at it. It's reflected in Jesus' address to them. Maybe you didn't notice it. Look, to the church of the Laodiceans. That's so important because if you go back to the other churches, it's the church at Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, the church in Sardis, but here, the church of the Laodiceans because they were individually sitting there. They weren't of God. They were of themselves. Mob rule. We say what is right. You think, well, that's, we would never do that. Well, I know we wouldn't on purpose. Who would do that on purpose? But this is what it looks like to do what is right in their own eyes. This is a, this is a cyclical problem with God's people. This, this hot and cold issue is cyclical. And, and every generation has to deal with it. Here's the issue that I think that we currently are, uh, I don't mean this disrespectfully to anybody, but this generation did not learn how to repent. My generation did not learn how to do that. My generation didn't know how to come back up on itself and be restored. It knew how to fall away. And I can tell you, they are not imparting to their children the importance of red-hot faith, the importance of sacrifice, of daily taking up their cross, of, of, of true faith. We're not giving it to our kids because nobody gave it to us. Now, I'm not blaming the generation before. I am saying there's some responsibility from every generation because every generation is going to deal with this. Every generation has to ask their own questions. One generation gives birth to the next generation. God, God requires that every generation have to make their own decisions. The, the thing about parenting is, is you're not giving your faith away to your children. You're helping them to establish their own so that when they do hit that bottom rung, they know how to come back up. We're not teaching them that. We're teaching them because I said so. Because it's what you do. Because it's the right thing. But we didn't teach them this. So when mom and dad or grandparents or the best people they know are off the scene, what do you, what do you believe in? I don't know. My grandfather started a church. I don't know. You go to church on Sunday. That's the best answers we've got. Israel did it. I want you to turn over to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. I just want you to see a couple of things. <clears throat> and for those of you who don't want to turn to 2 Chronicles or tap to 2 Chronicles, as it were, we in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 2. 2 Chronicles 24, 2. We're looking at a verse about Joash. Joash, this is 2 Chronicles 
24, 2, Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. You see that? Did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of the priest. Now, if you turn over a chapter to chapter 25, verse 2, when Joash died, his son Amaziah became the king. Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2. And Amaziah, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. I wish there was a period there. There's not. There's a comma. But not with a perfect heart. Oop, there's a little bit of slippage. It's dangerous. Let's scoot over another chapter. Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 4. Amaziah was no longer the king. His son Uzziah becomes the king. Verse 4, and Uzziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, not from his heart, according to all that his father Amaziah did. He's doing it not because his heart was pure. His dad's heart wasn't perfect in doing it. He just did it because it was right. But here's the next generation just following dad's Um, what? What? Footsteps, good, thank you. It's a rough morning for me this morning. Example. Second Chronicles chapter 27, verse 2. Amaziah, I mean, uh, Uzziah is no longer king. His son, Jotham, son of Uzziah. Verse 2. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father did. You see that? It's exactly the same as his daddy with his grandfather. However, howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord. You see, he's doing what's right, but he's not going to worship God. He's just doing things, going through the motions. And people did yet Corruptly. As goes the king, so goes the people. The king's going through the motions. It's not translating into the life of Israel. Finally, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 1. When Jotham was no longer king, his son became king in his place, Ahaz. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. You see how it happens? One generation slips away from the next, from the next. Five generations later, it goes from bless old Joash, did, created a revival in all of Israel, from revival to just Depravity. Four generations, five generations. See, this is, this is what happens when democracy rules the church. You say, well, I thought we were for democracy. Well, we are when humans are governing humans. As Winston Churchill said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. Yeah, when, when humans are in control or authority of others, democracy 
great. Of the people, by the people. But when God is in sovereign control of an individual person, democracy doesn't work. God and I don't vote. What we do is we agree on what God wants. We can ratify that among. I'm not opposed to votes, but it's not so that majority can rule. It's so that we can discern what God's will is among us if there's disagreement. That's why churches vote. We seek the Spirit of God. We know what the Spirit wants. And once we know what the Spirit wants, we've already made a commitment to do it. Jesus said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. How in the world is the church in Jesus' mouth? Well, I think there's maybe two ways. Number one, the church is the testimony of the Word of God. Whatever Jesus would speak, He speaks through the church. We're in his mouth in that way. The second way we're in his mouth is what is Jesus doing right this very moment? He's sitting at the right-hand throne of God making intercession for us, right? We're in his mouth because he's praying for us. Think about this. Jesus said, because you are lukewarm, you no longer have the right to speak on my behalf. And number two, I ain't interceding for you anymore. I ain't praying for you anymore. That word vomit is the word M-E-O in Greek. It's where we get our word uh, emetic, which is a, uh, a substance that you take. If somebody drinks poison and they, the doctors will give it to you and it will force a regurgitation, that's where we get that word emetic is from emeo, which What Jesus is saying is a lukewarm church is a great way. I mean, it's poison, and it's a great way for me just to absolutely hurl you out of my mouth. It causes this gag reflex. I can't even control it. Verse 17. For you say... I mean, this is your opinion. Jesus knows their opinion of themselves. For you say, I am rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. I mean, so this, I am rich and I've prospered, that word prospered to be translated wealthy. Some of your translations even says that. But the rich spend money on themselves. That's what it means to be rich when you spend money on yourself. The wealthy actually invest their money for a future. There is a difference between rich and wealthy. Rich is more of today. Wealthy is more of investments. So when they looked at themselves, you know, Jesus says, you say you're rich, you can have whatever you want whenever you want, but it's for you. And you say you're wealthy, which means that you have so much that you get what you want and you also lay up some for the future. In fact, you've come so far as to say, there's not one thing that we want that we can't have. We need nothing. But Jesus says, but I say to you, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So they were the opposite 
of blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember what their promise was? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And they were equating spiritual blessing with material possessions. That's, that's what started for Laodicea. They took their eyes off that kingdom and they started looking at this kingdom. Looking at influence and affluence here. You know, when you get cold, you ever been, you ever been like really, really cold? You know, before you die of cold, you fall asleep. Some people like to sleep when it's really cold because it's a lot easier to sleep when it's cold. That's just true for human nature. That's what happens when you get cold, you begin to get sleepy. That's exactly what happens to the church of Laodicea. They got cold and they fell asleep. They were, they were blind to their own blindness. They're shipping out ISAV to every part of the world. And they don't even know that they're blind. They thought they were the best. They thought they were happy. Jesus said, you're wretched. They thought they were generous. Jesus says, no, you're miserable. They thought they were self-sufficient. Jesus said, no, you're poor. They made money from bringing sight to the blind. Jesus said, but you're blind. They were known for desirable, black-woven garments, all the rage in Rome. Jesus said, but you're naked. I want you to notice the contrast again, what they think they are and what the amen, the true and faithful creator says that they are. Remember, the church at Smyrna, they thought they were poor. But Jesus said, no, you're really rich. Here, this church says we're really rich. Jesus says, no, you're poor. You've got nothing. Verse 18. So here's my advice to you. I counsel you to buy gold. I mean, you pride yourself in your gold exchange. Why don't you exchange gold for gold? Buy it from me, though. Buy, buy that pure gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and I will eat with him and he with me. I love the idea. Jesus don't say, hey, just go buy some gold. It'll fix it. Go, go do an upgrade. That'll fix it. What Jesus says, no, you need my gold. My gold is character. My gold is pure life. My gold is the most valuable thing that there possibly is, and it is the purest gold. It is a relationship with him. And that's the, that relationship is what qualifies us for the white robes of purity. What, what, God, what Jesus is saying is, I will clothe you in my righteousness. I mean, you are covered in your own and you think you're pretty hot stuff. But I'm telling you, your righteousness is filthy rags compared to my righteousness. How do we buy from God? How do, how do we buy anything from Jesus? I guess we have to do a lot of good works, earn up some merit, some tax credits. Maybe then we could afford to buy something from God. No, he's already told us what it costs. It costs you. You have to exchange your life for him. That's what it costs. 
Not good works, not your you know, possessions on earth. Don't do a bunch of good things and it'll exchange for bad things. Now, what Jesus says is, what it costs to buy from me is you. You've got to give yourself to me. You've got to walk with me. And, and, I, and I love the idea of that because they're only qualified to wear black robes. They're not qualified to wear his righteous white ones. But he wants, us, he wants to make us qualified to receive the righteousness of Jesus, receive the life of God, receive the righteousness of Christ, receive the healing from the Holy Spirit that comes and gives us our, our being. It's an exchange, an even exchange, you for him. I love this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Up to this moment, my feet are trembling. Reading this letter, if it's to my church. If I'm the pastor at Church Laodicea up to this moment, I am not liking this at all. But here's what Jesus says. Oh, by the way, all of this that I just said, it's just because I love you. I love you. I, I, I reprove and, I, and I, I discipline everything that I love. So the reason that I'm giving you this harshness isn't to condemn you. It's to, it's to spark you. It's, it's to light you up. It's to encourage you because I love you. Now, when you think about finding satisfaction in things that are not Jesus in this world, it, it, it just lulls us to sleep. That's why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our life can't become this mix of, oh, you know, people say, you know, how, how solid do I have to be in my faith? I mean, doesn't everybody kind of, you know, good days, bad days, slip in and out? No, no, everybody doesn't do that. It's not what God called us to do is to move from hot to cold, from hot to cold, like we're seasonal. God doesn't give us seasons. We need to stay focused on Jesus so that we can stay hot, that we can be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit, so we can know what to say when the world around us is crumbling. We can know how to feel. We can help others out of the ditch. We can serve and we can love because he loves us first. Now, a lot of times, I think we read the word of love in Scripture and we automatically assume that it's the word agape. You know, when Jesus says, hey, I, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Those who I love unconditionally with a spiritual kind of commitment, you know, that's, that's, who I, that's who I rebuke and discipline. That's not the word Jesus uses here, surprisingly. Jesus uses the other Greek word or one of the other Greek words for love, phileo. Phileo means a kindred kind of love, a friendship. It's kind of like a best friend's uh, soulmate's sort of kind of. If it's an intimate kind of a relationship that best friends can share for one another, that, that family experiences together, phileo love. Jesus says to those who I, I just want to be your friend. I mean, to me, it's Jesus saying, hey, I am the faithful amen. I am the, the truth. I am the, the faithful. I am the final word of all things. I'm creator. I spoke you into existence and I can take you out. And because of the way you're living, you are not fit. But I just want to be your friend. Why won't you just be friends with me? And he's not whining, but I think he's perplexed because he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that sacrificed himself so that you could have oneness with him. He's the one who's promised to love you unconditionally in this life and into the next. He's the one that's already taken your sin away. 
All it requires is for you to step into ongoing friendship with him. And just like a friend, I'm going to come over and I'm going to knock on the door because I want to come in. And if you will hear me, call your name, open the door, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with you. That's a beautiful word. The word eat. It doesn't mean that he's just exchanging a meal. This word is a very specific word. It's actually a title of the meal. It's the most significant meal of the day. It's the meal of substance. It's the meal that comes late at night after all the work is finished, when friends go to visit friends and sit back and prop their feet up. And they talk. And they talk as long as the host wants to talk. It's very, very specific in their culture to have this meal. They didn't have it all the time, but when they did have it, it was powerful. It's just phileo love, friends, having a meal with a friend, and enjoying the conversation of catching up on the day. Not a business lunch, not a snack, not a a regular, hey, we're done eating now, let's go about our way. It's a very, very peculiar word that Jesus uses to say, I just want to catch up with you. I want to exchange with you. Fellowship is a very important word here because I want to be your friend and I want you to be my friend. Because of that friendship, look what he says, therefore, be zealous. Because of this sharing of a relationship, be zealous. That word is zeleo, zealous. It actually means heat up. It actually means to burn. Because of that friendship, because of that intimacy, because of that relationship with Jesus Christ, and on a daily, ongoing, hearty way, heat up. Heat up. Repent. Repent's usually a negative word, but here it implies hope. Because up until here, you'd almost think this church is getting flipped off his finger. But Jesus says, hey, I'm offering you the opportunity to repent. And if you don't repent, it ain't going to end well with you. But if you do repent to the one who overcomes, to the one who conquers this, listen to this. This is so great. To the one who does heat up, I'm going to grant him. You know, you're going to sit with me on my throne just like when I conquered and I sat on my father's throne. Man, that's, that's what we want, isn't it? What Jesus is saying is those who overcome the battle against that's ongoing as every generation. In fact, most people have to deal regularly with it, indifference and compromise and self-reliance. They get a very special reward. They get to sit where Jesus sits for all eternity. If you will sit with him in communion in your life, then you get to sit with him for all eternity. If you will let him sit with you, He will let you sit with him for eternity. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But you have to overcome indifference, arrogance, independence. You have to overcome pride. Church history tells us that the church at Laodicea 
continue to be a dynamic church in Asia Minor actually outlasted many of the other Asian churches. In fact, one of its bishops, the uh, bishopric was actually established in Laodicea. One of their bishops was martyred in AD 161. So they were at least red hot then to some, to some degree. This was about 70 years after John told them to heat up or Jesus told them to heat up. In AD 363, there was actually a church council that met all of Asia Minor, met in Laodicea. And they discussed things like how pastors should be acting in ministry. They talked about things, uh, how to disciple new converts at that council. They ratified which books of the Bible belonged and which ones didn't. It was a significant place 300 years after Jesus told them to heat up. In fact, archaeologists have now found no less than 20 churches and chapels just in the city of Laodicea that date to the 4th century A.D. The biggest church was larger than an entire city block. Thankful that the church at Laodicea. I mean, that's, this was the worst church of the seven. But they listened. And they held fast. And they overcame. And they got serious. They repented. And they conquered. And right now, they're sitting on the throne with Jesus. I wonder what we're going to do. I'm 100% convinced that this letter is written to us. What are we going to do? Let he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. You are the amen. You are the faithful and true. You are the beginning. And you are the end. I pray that this morning we would hear. We would hear your voice and we would hear what your spirit says to us. I pray that we would repent. I pray that we would become zealous and we would heat up. I pray that we would get sick of our own lukewarmness. I pray that we would spew ourselves out of our own mouths and that we would be transformed. I ask, Lord, that you would receive glory from us that you would receive glory from the legacy that we leave to our children and our children's children. Pray this in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me, please? You know, this, this letter was written to, the, all these letters were written to the churches. This one, though, is different because he says, if anyone hears my voice. If any one, not if any church. The while it was written to the church, individual people have to make the agreement. Churches can't make an agreement. Churches can't, churches can't do anything, ultimately. The church, is, the church is made up of individual commitments. That's what determines if a church is hot or cold, is the individual commitments of the people who claim a relationship with Christ. And so... If it, were, if it were the church that should repent, I don't know what that would look like exactly. But he's calling individuals to do that. And so today, that's, that's what I want to do too. If you have heard, sensed from the Spirit today 
that you are growing toward lukewarm, will you please, on behalf of this church and every other church, repent and be zealous today. Let's bow our heads. And I ask you to please, as we finish this entire series, this is the, this is the culmination of wherever you see yourself in any of these churches. Maybe, maybe it's repent because you're not evangelizing or maybe it's the need to stand firm or maybe it's the, 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 the refusal to tolerate or to compromise or, or maybe it's to, to go like the church at Philadelphia or maybe it's today. It's a hard-heartedness, a going through the motions, Man, the last year and a half has really given us a great opportunity to figure out what that looks like of just going through the motions. Let's be tired of it. Will you repent today? Let's heat up together and encourage each other. Altars are open if you want to pray. We need to cultivate a we need to cultivate a desperation for Jesus. If we want to be the Word, if we want His intercession, we need to learn dependence. And I, I, have, a, I have a real sense that we're about to learn a lesson on dependence of the Spirit of God. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.